Welcome, friends, to the Generations Broadcast. Kevin Swanson, your host with you. Adam McManus, our host on theworldview.com. Our Everyday Worldview in Five Minutes program is with me on this edition. Adam, welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Well, uh, America is facing an increase in tyranny. Now, that's not new news. America has faced the increase of government control in just about every area of our lives over a previous hundred years. And by the providence of God, we need to add that, Adam. We, We put that in the newscast from time to time. As God would have it, in the providence of God, as God is sovereign over the operations of the nations, let's just say it. Tyranny has come to America. And the U.S. Congress has just approved another $80 billion to hire 87,000 IRS agents. Now, that's the U.S. Senate. The U.S. House has yet to, uh, to, to move on this, and that should happen sometime soon. Something like five Dems, if they change votes and don't go with the party line vote on this one, would kill this particular bill, which is referred to as the anti-inflation bill, which is ironic. We'll get back to that in just a moment. But Senator Ted Cruz is warning Americans about this. Cruz did the best he could to stop this particular bill from passing the U.S. Senate, but it was a 51-50 vote. The the, uh, chair, that is the VP, was the one who uh, killed the tie and brought this uh, vote to fruition as... uh, this tax increase, Biden tax increase, was approved by the U.S. Senate just over the weekend. So let me pre- play just for a moment this quote from Ted Cruz, who commented on this very dangerous part of this particular bill. Here's what the senator said. There are a lot of bad things in this bill, but few are worse than the proposal by Democrats in this bill to double the size of the IRS and create 87,000 new IRS agents. The House Ways and Means Committee, the minority, has put out an estimate that under this bill, there will be 1.2 million new audits per per year, with over 700,000 of those new audits falling on taxpayers making $75,000 or less. All right, so that's uh, what the senator said, and uh, it's a bill that's going to threaten the freedom, the liberty of uh, millions of Americans, it appears. More tyranny coming to America. That's Ted Cruz. Uh, warning Americans about what's to come. Boy, the Democrats sure like tyranny. I mean, how many Americans are looking forward to more IRS audits? You know, <laughs> thanks to Joe Biden and the Democrat-controlled U.S. Congress. Do you remember the Biden's campaign slogan? Do you remember what he said, Adam? My father beat you with whips. I will beat you with scorpions. I was on all the brochures. Remember that? It was a Rehoboam campaign slogan brought back by Joe Biden. And Americans said, yeah, absolutely. Let's vote for this guy. I think I saw a couple bumper stickers along that line. Listen, the Wall Street Journal Mm -hmm. makes it clear that the concern is the impact on the middle class. The Joint Committee on Taxation, which is Congress's official tax scorekeeper, says that from 78 to 90 percent of the money raised from underreported income would likely come from those making less than $200,000 a year. Only 4 to 9% of additional income would come from those making more than $500,000. So Joel Griffith of the Heritage Foundation says, if you look at the past, the audits disproportionately impact those that are middle class, upper middle class income earners. Those are the ones who get targeted by this. Americans are inviting tyranny. We're just saying Americans vote for Democrats. 
I, I don't know how many of the ballot boxes were stuffed. I, I don't know. But I do know that Americans like tyranny. They've been voting for tyranny for a very long time. This is not the first election in which Americans have voted for tyranny. They tend to vote for Republicans and Democrats. They vote for tyranny. They vote for tyrants. That's what they do. I ran for governor of Colorado in U.S. Senate and told everybody we should cut government down to about half the size or maybe ideally 80% of what it used to be. And uh, nobody voted for me. You know, they just don't want that. <laughs> They're not interested in that. They, they, they want government. They love government. The last president to decrease the size of government was Calvin Coolidge. It was like, Calvin who? Calvin Coolidge. 1920s. It was like, was that 100 years ago? Yeah, 100 years ago. It's, it's been 100 years since we've decreased the size of government. Mm. Americans love big government, Adam. Americans love socialism. Americans kiss the change that bind them. Americans love the IRS. And Americans are going, yay, Biden. Go, Biden. Go Democrats, kill, kill us, you know, bring the taxation down upon us, tax the middle class, destroy the middle class. And, you know, if and here's what Samuel Adams would say to it. This was one of the founders of this country. I used to say this in my campaigns around the state of Colorado in the 1990s when I would run for U.S. Senate, run for governor. If you love wealth more than liberty, if you love the tranquility of servitude better than the animating contest of freedom, depart from us in peace. We ask not your counsel nor your arms. May your chains rest lightly upon you and may posterity forget that you are a countryman. Meaning, yeah, just kiss those chains. They've doubled the size of the IRS. Just kiss those chains, Americans. You've earned it. You, you, you love it. You vote for tyranny. Just kiss the chains that bind you. 87,000 more bureaucrats auditing your tax returns trying to identify one of the 100,000 ways you've blown it and missed one of the 500,000 regulations placed on you. Just kiss those chains that bind you. Can't you hear Samuel Adams say something like that, Adam? I think he might be as dramatic as you're being, but I'm reminded of Joe the Plumber. Do you remember him, the American conservative who gained national attention back in 2008 during the presidential campaign season when during a videotaped campaign stop in Ohio, by then-Democratic nominee Barack Obama, Joe the Plumber, his actual full name is Joe Wurzelbacher, raised concerns that Obama's tax policy would increase taxes on small business owners, and he objected to the redistribution of wealth, and he said, we need to be able to keep more of our money, and I object to your desire to raise taxes and redistribute the wealth. We need more Joe the Plumbers to rise up and speak out. That's what we need. Yeah. 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 Whatever happened to Joe the Plumber or Rush Limbaugh? Or, you know, it seems to me that generally speaking, there's absolutely no real force behind the loyal opposition these days against tyranny. Hardly anybody of us talks about tyranny. A word is hardly used. Now, of course, Martin Luther and John Calvin, you know, going back to Patrick Henry and Samuel Adams, they were, they were dead set against tyranny, whether it came from the church or the state. Either way, they, this, this was the big thing. They were opposed to things that would abridge liberty, whether it came from the church or the state. That kind of opposition is not heard anymore. When was the last sermon you heard against tyranny? or the abridgment of liberty on the part of the Christian church in America, you just don't hear it these days. Well, that's because they're kissing the chains that bind them. They're in bondage to the devil. They're in bondage to Satan. They're in bondage to big government. They're in bondage to porn. They're in bondage to every other addiction that comes down the pike. Americans are in bondage. Now, of course, Jesus said, if 
The Son will set you free. You will be free indeed. Uh, You will be free uh, from sin. And uh, the reason people vote for tyrants is because the number one priority for Americans is that government fix their problems for them. They want the government to provide education, welfare, strong economy, good medical care. On and on it goes. They just trust in government to save them. But, of course, the reason why they trust government is because they won't trust God. That's, that's basic. They don't serve the true and living God. They don't worship him. They don't fear him. So they're going to fear government. They're going to trust government. Government is God for them. And then remember one more thing. For the transgression of the people, many are the princes thereof. Ultimately, it's the immorality of the people, the irresponsibility of the people, the failure of the people to self-govern themselves that causes them to look to government to compensate. So they forfeit the responsibility. Government takes up the responsibility. In the meantime, the government comes and crushes them with an iron hand. That's the way it works, my friends. I would add that this is not just a democratic problem. As you pointed out on the newscast on Tuesday, the largest year-to-year federal expenditure increase since World War II occurred in 2020 under President Donald Trump, 2008 under George W. Bush, and 1975 under Richard Nixon. All three of those are Republican. Absolutely. I want to talk about that more in just a moment on the Generations broadcast. Uh, Who in the world is lowering government or lessening the impact of government upon our lives? Just not happening these days. Let's talk about that more in just a moment on the Generations broadcast. What happens when a culture that was established and guided by biblical principles abandons the faith and seeks to live by its own wisdom? In his latest groundbreaking work, Epic, The Rise and Fall of the West, Kevin Swanson unfolds the dramatic history of Western civilization, highlighting the phenomenal impact that Jesus Christ and his people have had upon the thought, culture, and institutions of the Christian West as well as tracing the slow but devastating decline of Western civilization and the key factors that have led to our spectacular fall over the centuries. A sobering narrative of gospel hope, this book urges its reader to greater fervency in the work of discipleship and the development of an international vision for the church. This is truly a must-read for any Christian seeking to understand the times and seasons in which we live You can claim your hardcover copy of Epic, The Rise and Fall of the West by visiting generations.org slash store today. That's generations.org slash store. And we're back on the Generations broadcast. Kevin Swanson with you. Adam McManus as well from theworldview.com. And looking over the Inflation Reduction Act, which is before the U.S. House, now sailed through the U.S. Senate with a vote of 51-50. Now, I guess the big question for me is how does increasing taxes with this tax increase that Biden has proposed, how does this decrease or reduce inflation? Uh, On the face of it, it was not really intended to reduce inflation. In fact, Bernie Sanders agrees with me on this one. Uh, incredibly. Bernie Sanders and I have not agreed on very much oh, I doubt it. Uh, through the years. But uh, listen to what he says. Let me know what he says about. I want to take a moment to say a few words about the so-called Inflation Reduction Act that we are debating uh, this evening. And I say so-called, uh, by the way, because according to the CBO, 
and other economic organizations that have studied this bill, it will, in fact, have a minimal impact on inflation. Uh, That's Bernie Sanders, and that's his admission that this is just the so-called Inflation Reduction Act. I think it illustrates something of the emperor's new clothes procession that seems to be the way in which government operates today in Washington. Well, it makes no sense to increase taxes by $700 billion, to spend another $400 billion, to cut energy independence, and think that any of this is going to do anything to reduce inflation. If anything, it will increase inflation. It will make it skyrocket even more. We're already hurting out here in the hinterlands, 9% plus of additional money being taken out of our paycheck every pay period because of the increased cost of uh, goods and services. You know, it's just more Orwellian newspeak. It's the double talk. They claim, for example, just to tag a recent show of ours, the Respect for Marriage Act, when it actually would be properly termed the Disrespect for Marriage Act, as, as we both pointed out. So really, whenever the Democrats name a bill, pretty much you can bet it's the exact opposite. If they say it's the Inflation Reduction Act, that really should be called the Inflation Skyrocketing Act. <laughs> well, you're right, and significant uh, movements are occurring right now, and uh, we're seeing the largest increase in the size of government since FDR, really. In fact, I want to go over that briefly. I, I want people to understand history. I think it's important for the record that we understand our history on big government. The Republicans are the big government party since Ronald Reagan. FDR took federal spending from 5% of the GDP to 20% of the GDP in the 1940s. Okay, so that's FDR and somewhat Truman taking federal spending from roughly 5% of the GDP to 20%. Prior to that, Woodrow Wilson did some damage, but FDR took the federal spending up towards 20% of the GDP. In the 1970s, then, the federal government spending was still between 18 and 20%. Of the GDP, and we're talking about Carter and Ford and others, Nixon. Nixon actually was a big government guy. Uh, He increased the size of the federal government slightly, Carter not so much. Ronald Reagan then raised federal government spending up to 23% of the GDP. A lot of people think that Ronald Reagan was a small government kind of guy. Well, he's a small government rhetoric kind of guy, but he was not a small government guy. He took federal spending from 20% of the GDP up towards 23% of the GDP. And then Bill Clinton brought it all the way back down to 18% of the GDP. So throughout the 1990s, you actually had a contraction of the federal government back to 18% of GDP, which was where it was in the 1970s. So the 1990s really had something of a reversion back to where we were in the 1970s. Then George W. Bush brought federal government spending from 18% of the GDP up to 24% of the GDP in the 2007-2008 time frame, meaning towards the end of his administration. You remember he tried to save America by increased government spending. So he brought it back up to 24% of the GDP. So from Bill Clinton to George W. Bush, you're, you're, you're moving from 18% of the GDP to 24% of the GDP for government spending. Then Barack Obama brought it back down to 20%, not so much you know, as far down as Bill Clinton had it, but uh, he brought it down from 24% to 20% of the GDP And that's where it was towards the end of the 1970s up into the 1980s. Donald Trump then took it up to 33% of GDP. That's the largest increase since FDR. 
So Donald Trump is the champion of, of bringing big government spending into the federal government. Biden has brought it down to 25%, still far above where it was in the 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, 1980s, 1990s, and 2000s. So Biden is not taking it back to where it was under Barack Obama. He refuses to do it. He's keeping it up upwards of 25% of GDP. Now, it was Donald Trump that gave it the big burst, up to 33% of GDP, even as George W. Bush did a major burst, taking the federal government spending upwards of 24% of GDP. Barack Obama, as I said, brought it back down to 20%, but Donald Trump took it back up to 33% of GDP, and now Joe Biden has brought it back down to 25% of GDP, and that's still far above where it was in the 1950s, 1960s, 1970s. I used to like, like to say when I ran for governor of Colorado, I'd say, well, you know, the Republican walks into a restaurant and so orders a little less than whatever the Democrats having over there, and uh, he winds up with uh, even more, meaning that the, the cook actually serves him even more, meaning that the Republicans tend not to have any principle, and because they don't have principle, uh, they wind up uh, with even more government than the Democrats uh, would have uh, provided the nation. Democrats like Bill Clinton brought the spending per GDP down, but Biden is more liberal. And I think that's the point we need to make, that even as Trump took the federal spending upwards of 33% of GDP, Biden is not taking it back down to where it was under Barack Obama, which is 20% of GDP. Rather, what uh, Joe Biden is doing is, is leaving it upwards of 25% of GDP, which is the most significant, consistent increase we've seen in the size of government since FDR. So so effectively what has happened under Donald Trump and Joe Biden is we're we're seeing a, a major major increase in the size of the US federal government upwards of 25 to 33% of GDP. 33% under Donald Trump now 25% under Joe Biden which is significantly higher than it was under Barack Obama. So that's where we are today and this increase in government spending is going to hurt the American economy. It's not going to bring down inflation. It's only going to saddle the American people with a more of a lack of productivity, uh, increase in taxation, lower standard of living, and that's what government does. It just drags down the economy. And uh, whether it's Republicans or Democrats doing it right now, it just happens to be Democrats that are overseeing the increase in taxation, the increase in spending, but uh, it's going to saddle the American uh, consumer, the American uh, voter more than uh, we have seen since uh, FDR. I mean, we're seeing a massive increase, one giant step for socialism in our day. And then, in other words, since uh, COVID-19, we're seeing a, a massive increase, a massive step in uh, the increase of socialistic control of American life. And that is going to have an Im impact on the American standard of living. On the basis of the 1990 calculation of the Consumer Price Index, it would be 13%. Yeah. The basis yeah. of the 1980 calculation, the consumer price index would be 17%. And mm -hmm. you've yeah. put together some really mind-blowing stats to remind everyone where we've come from in terms of how much things used to cost. The major household expenses, when you look back in 1975, a new house, a median new house, 48 thousand dollars i mean oh my heavens we'd all love a forty eight thousand dollar house today based on a median income of twelve thousand seven hundred dollars you could pay it off in about four years if you saved every dime but in 2021 the median new house price was four hundred and thirty thousand dollars and based on a median household income of sixty seven thousand five hundred dollars it would take you 
Six years to pay it off if you saved every dime. New car back in 1975, $3,800. $3,800. You could pay it off in four months based on a median income of $12,700. But in 2021, the average new car was priced at $47,000 and would take eight and a half months to pay it off. Uh, And then you look at college education. Back in 1975, an average four-year public college education cost $7,200. It would require 57% of your median annual income to pay for it. Now, in 2021, to pay off the same four-year college expense, it would require 112% of your median annual income to pay it off. The government is moving in the wrong direction to help us minimize expenses and to get control of our primary obligations. I mean, no wonder people are looking more and more to government as their savior, their deliverer, their rescuer. They want that redistribution of wealth. They want someone else to pay off their college debt, which they signed up to pay and were obligated to pay because they don't have the money to pay the bills. There's an interesting survey that was done by Prime America just uh, recently. I think this was last week. And they interviewed uh, middle-income people who are making anywhere from 30000 to 100000 a year. And 75% of these folks are saying that their earnings are falling behind the cost of living, 77% think the U.S. will be in recession by the end of 2022. And apparently back in March, you know, only 32% were thinking that. And then uh, last year, only 17% were, were thinking that we were going to be heading for a recession. So we're looking at a major problem. Real average weekly earnings have are plunging now down 16 straight months uh, as inflation eats away at any wage gains. But as you said, that's the CPI. I, I think we've been running behind since 1975 or 1980, somewhere in there. Americans peaked in terms of their enjoyment of a um, improved cost of living. I'm going to say in the 1980s, perhaps around 1990, that would have been it. Americans are getting poorer and poorer and have since the 1990s. As you said, on the basis of the 1990 calculation for the CPI, our CPI would not be 9%, it'd be 13%. On the basis of the 1980 calculation, it'd be 17%, not 9%. So, and that's shadowstats.com for people who want to check out the real CPI. If you want to know how much you are losing year by year, just check out shadowstats.com. People have this impression, hey, yeah, we're doing way better than we were in the 1970s. No. As you pointed out, I mean, it's, it takes about twice as long for you to pay off a house. It takes about twice as long for you to pay off a car takes four times as long to pay off your medical care in any given year takes uh, about twice as long to pay off a college education i mean look you're looking at the standard of living being one, roughly one half of what it was in 1975 we we are 50% poorer than we were in 1975 also well, you say well what's going on we think we're rich but we're getting poorer and poorer we're living off of debt but with rising interest rates sinking equity lower income and debt payments as high as they could possibly be, debt's not going to help us as much as it used to. So that's where we are right now. We pretend like everything is better than we were in the 1970s. No, no, we are living at half the standard of living as we were in the 1970s. Now you say, well, yeah, we compensated everything by debt, but I'm, I'm sorry, but debt isn't real wealth. 
And so, and we also have rising interest rates, sinking equity, lower, lower income, debt payments as high as they can possibly be right now. Debt is not going to help us as much as it used to. And so friends, it's time to pay the piper. We think we're rich, but we're getting poorer and poorer. Here's the spiritual lesson. I pull it from Revelation 3.14. As I was thinking through this, I was thinking about, you know, rising taxes, uh, sinking cost of live or standard of living, uh, rising cost of living by inflation. Thinking about all these things, I put it all together. I'm thinking to myself, yeah, but Americans are still proud. Americans still think they're rich. Americans still think that they're doing way better than we were in the 1970s. No, no, we're not doing way better than we were in the 1970s. We, we, we're passing off to our children impoverishment. We, we, we have destroyed our economy and we are poor and we may be poorer than Mexicans within the next 10 years. Wow. Revelation 3.14 speaks of this. To the angel of the church of Laodicea, right? These things say the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, that is Jesus. Here's what he says. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Speaking to Americans here, he says, because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy and have no need of anything, and do not know that you actually are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, that is, sign up for the suffering for Jesus, and white garments that you may be clothed. That is the, the covering of the righteousness and the blood of Christ. The shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see as many as I love, I rebuke and chase, and therefore be zealous and repent. So that's Revelation 3.14. Um, Americans really do believe that everything's going great. They can still afford their psychotropic drugs. Everything is going great. That's what Americans think about themselves. So rich, so wealthy. I have need of nothing. They don't know that they are wretched. They are miserable. They are poor, blind, and naked. We are an unhealthy nation. We are an obese nation. We are poor. We are in debt. We are birth imploding. We are spiritually bankrupt as a nation. And yet we are proud and we think we're rich. Don't think we've ever been in so much debt. We haven't been so birth imploded. We've never been so poor. We've never lived off so much debt. We have never been taxed as much. We've never seen such significant inflation with no end in sight. No, no, friends. Uh, our, our money isn't worth anything anymore. Our debt, hey, we've indebted ourselves as much as we possibly can. We've used up the capital of all previous generations, and the next generation does not have the character to sustain the investments that have made, been made over the last four to five generations, uh-uh. They can barely provide the janitorial services to keep the buildings operating. No, no, we are done. It is over. There's no more debt opportunity. There's no more character. There's no more capital. We have, we have used it up. We've used it up. We are impoverished. That's where we are today. You sound like an Old Testament prophet. Or? Maybe just Jesus speaking in Revelation 3.14. I mean, you know, I mean, that's what he's saying. He's saying, and I think what he's saying here is be realistic, be honest. You know, at least somebody tell the truth. Somebody define us for who we really are. And once we see our need, now we go to God to take care of it. We don't go to the government to take care of it. We're going to go to God because this the problem we are dealing with, the problem of the heart, the problem of character, the problem of not just economy, but every aspect of our society, 
is in trouble, we can't go to government for this. We're going to have to go to God because only God can save us from this. And I think we need to see this in terms of where we are spiritually, where we are financially, where we are economically, where we are socially, where we are in every possible aspect of human society, friends. We're just going to have to go to God and ask for his help. And I think that is the moral of the story on this edition of the Generations Broadcast. Friends, I encourage you to our book, Epoch, The Rise and Fall of the West, the second edition coming off in about six or seven weeks. Uh, So get your copy now at generations.org. Epoch, The Rise and Fall of the West, now available at generations.org. This is Kevin Swanson inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.